You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Listen, gang, disappointment and mundane, the monotony does not have to make you a rebellious individual. Instead of those fetters of disappointment entering your soul, they can enter your backbone and make you strong, make you more compassionate and trusting all at the same time. It's all found in the way that you respond to your particular circumstances. Joseph was living kind of a hard life, hated by all of his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused of rape. Just that would be bad enough. He meets a guy in prison who had access to the king who he helps out. The guy promises to remember him and doesn't. But it'll become clear from Pastor Mike's teaching that Joseph doesn't become angry or bitter because he's looking to God for his hope. If you feel like you're in a spot like Joseph was, he's showing you the way to not just survive, but thrive in your situation. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 40 as he begins his message, Forgotten. Let's go ahead and read that text of scripture in Genesis chapter 40 and verse 23. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And I'll set this up for you if you haven't been here for the last time. So we'll go ahead and consider this in context of all of what came before verse 23 in just a moment. But let's begin in a word of prayer. Father, we pray now that you'd bless the remainder of our time together as we treat this text of scripture and Father, I pray that you would particularly speak to and minister to those who may feel right now that they've been forgotten, that they've been abandoned. And Lord, help them to realize, though, although that they may be, have been abandoned by man, but never abandoned by you. You never abandon your children, and that's who we are. That's what we've become through your son, Jesus Christ. And we're so grateful and thankful for that. Lord, there are periods of time where it seems as if you're quiet and you're not speaking and not moving, but that's never true. That's never really the case. So, Lord, open our eyes, help us to see the bigger picture, and, Lord, we thank you. Now, Father, minister to each one in a very relative and personal kind of a way. Father, we pray that you anoint your word as it goes forward, that it will bear fruit in the lives and hearts of your people. Father, we pray that the gifts of the Holy Spirit would be in operation during this time in the areas of wisdom and knowledge and prophecy. God, speak to us. God, we thank you. Bless now. Let my words be your words. For we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. So once again, this message, the title is Forgotten. Okay, so let's back up a little bit, particularly for those who have been traveling or you haven't been here last time or even the last couple of times. Let me set the stage for this message. Joseph, who has now sort of become our focus in our Genesis series, he, for the last couple of months actually, has become our main character study. Joseph is in prison for a crime that he didn't commit, along with the king's butler or cupbearer who dreamt a dream. And that dream is recorded for us in verses 9 through 11. And we've already gone through this, but again, for the sake of those who weren't here, let's go back and revisit that text of Scripture. Verses 9 through 11, let's discover the dream that the cupbearer or the baker uh, had uh, dreamt. Verses 9 through 11. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And then Joseph goes on, according to our text, He then interprets the dream, and the interpretation of the cupbearer's dream or the butler's dream is recorded for us in verses 12 and 13. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. Okay, so after three days, he would be restored to his position. We don't know exactly the reason why he had been thrown into prison along with Joseph. The scriptures don't give any indication of why. But nevertheless, according to Joseph's interpretation, in three days, he's going to be once again restored, probably exonerated from what he may have been accused of and restored to his position as one of the highly honored noblemen of Pharaoh. But then notice, and we've also drew your attention to this last time together, and then notice Joseph adds in verse 14, let's go on then to verse 14, after the telling of the dream, the interpretation of the dream, and then Joseph goes on to declare, but remember me when it is well with you, And please show kindness to me and make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house or get me out of this prison. Now, we can almost hear the cupbearer, his grateful reply, yes, sure, no doubt, I'll remember you. I mean, after all, what a talent you have. You're amazing. You should have your own TV special. Better yet. You ought to produce a play on Broadway. In fact, maybe you could call it Joseph's Technicolor Coat. Now, most of you don't even get that joke, but that was so long ago there was actually a play. Okay, anyway. Well, anyway, three days pass. The cupbearer, exactly according to Joseph's interpretation, is released and restored exactly the way that Joseph said He would be. But however, he did not remember 
Joseph, remember Joseph's request. When you are restored, when you are released, remember me to Pharaoh and get me out of this place. But the cupbearer didn't remember Joseph at all. In fact, notice in chapter 41, and we'll get to this next time together because we'll move into the next chapter. We're studying this book of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. But notice there in verse 41, the first part of chapter 41 and verse 1, then it came to pass at the end of two full years. So what would that indicate? Well, between chapters 40, verse 23, and chapter 41 and verse 1, there's a period of two years that have lapsed. And so he's still in prison for another two years, two full years. Joseph's still in prison. Now put yourself, if you would, for a moment, in Joseph's shoes. It would have been very easy, think about it, for Joseph to become bitter, to become rebellious towards life in general, but also to God. But he didn't do that at all. In fact, it was in that prison and over that period of two years, through these disappointments, that Joseph further developed an excellent character. Why? Because he was simply trusting and waiting on God. Now, let me also share with you, and we also touched on this in one of our previous studies. This was no small thing. In the 105th Psalm, in verse 18, we're given some of the particulars of Joseph's original imprisonment. And again, to just give you a sense of the conditions Joseph was placed under. And in that psalm, we read, they bruised his feet with shackles and his neck was put in irons. That is, he was fettered to his cell by an iron collar. And that was his immediate experience. But then we also realize as we continued our study, God's favor, even while Joseph was in prison, was upon him. And thus later on, he was also favored by the prison warden. And he was given certain responsibilities and privileges and some freedoms, but nevertheless, he was still incarcerated. But initially, his imprisonment wasn't a good one. So Joseph initially was facing a terrible, terrible fate. And we know how difficult circumstances, things that weary our bodies, can affect our souls. They wear us down day after day after day. Nothing changes. Remember now, Joseph, although he had some freedoms at the end of his imprisonment, still he's being incarcerated, facing an unsure future, doesn't know what tomorrow is going to hold for him. But to be fettered by circumstances, can be extremely damaging to our spirits. Isn't that true? Think about that in your own life's experience. You're a child of God, and yet all of these irritations and disappointments are going on in your life, the problems that you're facing, and it's hard to reconcile those things with the God who's supposed to supremely love you and is concerned for you and is providing for you. It can become easily extremely disheartening, right? and you can't rationalize your particular situation. And it can ultimately become damaging to your spirit and even your walk with God. The monotony of your struggle wears you down, and you begin to feel like a beast of burden, sort of like grinding at the mill. Every day, things are the same. Nothing changes. 
And as I mentioned, it's extremely disappointing, disheartening. And I imagine this was the danger Joseph was facing. But you know what? By God's grace, he did not succumb to it. Now remember, when the cupbearer was restored to his place in Pharaoh's court, he promised Joseph, Joseph, I'm going to get you out of here. And I could see Joseph, just for a moment, put yourself in Joseph's shoes, running to the prison door each time that it opened. But it's always something else or somebody else. And then I can hear Joseph making excuses for the cupbearer. He must be busy. Well, he's getting reestablished. He's just simply waiting for the right time. I know that he's going to remember me. But listen, after two years, between that space of chapter 40 in verse 23 and chapter 41 in verse 1, after two years, it was useless to hide from himself. What he had long suspected, human hope had disappointed him. He had been forgotten. Now, can anyone relate to this? Have you ever been in that kind of a situation before? Where you look around and there's no one there to help. There's no one there to encourage you. There's no one there to throw their arms around you and say everything is going to be all right. Have you ever been in that situation before? What are you going through right now? For some of you, it may be more than two years passing in your particular condition, and nothing has changed. Each day you're hoping, you're hoping for some deliverance or some encouragement, but it never comes. In a sense, you're in a prison of your own circumstances. You're trapped by life. It could be your mundane, dull jobs, <laughs> your places of employment. Day after day after day, you're enduring the same abuse and mistreatment from a nasty employer. It's the same tedious work every day, the same complaints you've heard thousands of times over. And then to make matters worse, some coworker, some friend of yours, has been promoted, and off they go up the corporate ladder. But before they leave, they express to you, promising you, hey, Mike, I'll remember you. I'll keep my eyes open for a managerial position for you. And you're thinking, wow, you know, that's exactly what I've been praying for. God, you know that's exactly what I want. But then what happens? Months pass by, and then you come to the stock realization that you've been forgotten by that person who's been kicked upstairs. Oh, how that can actually embitter a person. But not Joseph. On the contrary, it steadied and deepened his character. Listen, gang, disappointment and mundane, the monotony does not have to make you a rebellious individual. Instead of those fetters of disappointment entering your soul, they can enter your backbone and make you strong, make you more compassionate and trusting, all at the same time. It's all found in the way that you respond to your particular circumstances. Yes, it doesn't happen all at once. It's a progressive work. God is doing something. But you get to that place of finally realizing, yes, I've been forgotten by man, and that may be the truth, but never forgotten by God. And that no matter what's going on, even in those silent times 
where it seems as if God isn't working or God isn't speaking, things aren't working out the way that you hope they would work out, nevertheless, we know that he's accomplishing his good purposes. Listen, God does not forget his people. We forget. We forget people, don't we? We forget God, but God never forgets his kids. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. One of the classical examples would be Noah. Think about Noah. The stench of the sin of the people upon the face of the earth had come up before God, and God remembered their sin. And so God was going to judge the earth. He was going to do it through a great flood. He spoke to Noah. He instructed Noah to build that great ark, take all of the different species of animals along with his family to be placed into that ark, and it was going to rain upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And so I think about Noah alone on the great deep. During the year, the flood was upon the earth, okay? Now, he's completely wiped out civilization as Noah knew it at that time. The only people who continued to even live was Noah and members of his immediate family and all of those different species of animal who had entered into the ark. And now they're just sort of like bobbing around on the waters, the result of the great flood, for a period of one year. Can you imagine that? Without a word. God hasn't spoken to Noah in a year. Everyone, with the exception of a few members of his family, are cut off, are drowned beneath Noah. And for months, as I mentioned, he's just bobbing around upon the torrents of water. And he's probably thinking to himself, I'm sure that he raised this question in his own mind, have I really been spared? God, what's going on here? You haven't even spoken to me in a year. I'm a sinner, he must have thought, which was true. Noah was as guilty as any one of those other individuals who had perished in the flood. So Noah knew that he was absolutely guilty. So he's probably entertaining the question, have I really been spared? But just then, according to the book of Genesis in chapter 8, in verse 1, we read, then God remembered Noah. It seemed like for that period of a year, God had abandoned Noah. Again, have you ever felt that way yourself? But God was working. And every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. You see that? You see, God had not forgotten Noah. All along, he is working out his plan. But listen, gang, you don't have to be many miles at sea to feel as if you've been cut off from all things. Let me give you another example of this. Let me give you a New Testament example of this. I'm thinking of the thief who was crucified alongside of Jesus. Think about the cry, the believing thief, not the one who mocked him, who was on the other side of Christ's cross, but the cry of the believing thief who was crucified alongside of Christ. That man had never felt more forgotten in any moment of his existence. Think about that. He was facing an unsure future. He didn't have any hope to live eternally. He didn't know anything about living eternally until finally he had spent that few moments with Jesus. 
And then he realized exactly who it was that he was being crucified alongside of. And in Luke's gospel in chapter 23, in verses 42 and 43, then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me. In his loneliness, in his sense of feeling abandoned, he cried out to Jesus, the Savior, and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That man at that moment received the revelation of who Christ was. Up until that time, we don't have any indication whatsoever in the scriptures that he had any meeting prior with Jesus before his own crucifixion. So in that moment, he had a revelation of Jesus being a king about to enter into his eventual kingdom. And that was enough. It might have been a small exercise of faith, but nevertheless, it was enough to Jesus for Jesus to respond and declare in verse 43, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so he never forgets his children. Now, this story of Joseph being forgotten serves up some final lessons for us. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write these down. Up until this point, maybe you haven't been taking notes, but three final lessons, three final points that I want to draw to your attention. The first of which is, and this is what we need to take away from this more than anything else. Number one, don't place your trust in man because ultimately they're undependable. They're fragile. They don't have the juice. Even the closest people to you may want to help, might even go out of their way to do whatever they can to help, but ultimately, they're just as fragile as you and I. In Isaiah chapter 2, in verse 22, we read, Sever yourselves from such a man whose breath is in his nostrils, for of what account is he? Now, that's an interesting statement. In other words, stop trusting in someone who can only live by taking one breath at a time. And if he misses that one breath, just to kind of give you an idea of how fragile men are, if he misses that one breath, he dies. So rather, place your trust in God, who is the eternal breath from whom all our little breaths come from. I think about Paul, and he reaffirms this truth when he's at Mars Hill in the city of Athens. As he's going through the city, his mind is blown. They have all of these statues that are erected in worshiping of their false gods. They had so many gods that the Athenians worship that Paul finds himself coming upon a statue and the inscription under this statue says, unto the unknown God. In other words, they had so many gods, they couldn't even name them. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. When something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, we remember the first times we walked in the door. 
And as we draw close to the end of days, it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcasts. That's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time here in my father's house.